Good morning. It's Thursday, October 8th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 216. Oh, me? Yeah, I'm Chris, and uh, I'm glad to be here today. We have some stories that I have whittled down from all of the uh, crap out there. So imagine the tech news is a big old stump that has, like, moss on it and bugs, and it's just the ugliest stump you've ever seen. I think somebody even took a leak on this thing, but, but like, it just does not look good. So what I did is I sat down with my news wisdom knife. Yeah. I keep that in my pocket. And I just whittled that stump down into a beautiful curvature of the news today. And what I mean by that is we're not going to talk about emojis at all. I don't care if Facebook has a dislike button. Today, we're talking about things like data in a briefcase. To do that, I have a mumble room. Time appropriate greetings. Mumble room. Hello, hello. All right. So check this out. You know, you guys know that uh, Amazon has AWS, and there's a lot of different features of AWS, and one of it is big data storage. But what do you do when your data is so big that you don't even want to be able to, you know, consider uploading it? Like that's a, that would be an insane – say you got terabytes of data, and you just – uploading it is not a good idea, but you need to get it up on AWS – For that, I present Snowball. Amazon has launched Snowball, a rugged storage appliance for importing data into AWS. It looks pretty cool. It's like a branded Pelican case. And uh, Amazon has, like, this really cool, like, uh, whole setup for it. So check it out. It says the case can withstand 6 Gs of jolts. It has a 110-volt power supply and a 10-gigabit network connection built into it. So it's a little network in a box that has its own power inverter and all of that. Uh, every import-export job will cost developers $200. The first 10 days of on-site usage are free, and each, uh, each extra day of on-site will cost developers $15 a day. Amazon won't charge for importing the data from Snowball into S3, but it will charge uh, $0.03 cents per gigabyte for export. So you bring it in, and it's like having a little S3 server in a, in, a, in a briefcase. And then when you're done with it, FedEx comes and picks it up and drives it back to Amazon. Isn't that really cool? This is this brings snail mail to like a whole new level. And uh, you, when you get it, you have like a, like an appliance like UI that allows you to create a job, and you connect the snowball, and you copy the data over, and then they handle the migration to S three. It's pretty neat. I think that's actually a pretty cool system. There are some other like uh, consumer oriented like Crash Plan also offers us uh, services like this. But, the, you know, this is a big problem with cloud data is, like, how do you get a lot of data up there? Or maybe you have a big job, you're doing a big SQL exporter. I don't know what it would be. Something that generates a lot of data at once. Well, now you can put it on a snowball for $200. <laughs> I thought that was particularly interesting. And uh, you can find links you want to read more in the show notes. Now, I hope nobody in the mumble room just got themselves a Dell XPS 13 or 15 laptop. Because this did happen to people in our, in our subreddit. Because uh, Dell just announced refreshes on the Dell XPS line, and they announced a hybrid 12-inch tablet like our friends at Microsoft, only probably with a little bit different of a build. And uh, they've uh, one of the things that jumps out at me right away is now the XPS 13 is capable of going up to 16 gigabytes of RAM, which is what really burns people, I think, on our subreddit, is they were kind of locked in, I think, at 8, maybe? I'm not quite sure. Uh, these uh, XPS laptops, I have the original XPS 13, well, the, the previous generation, I guess. And it has that infinity edge display, so they can fit a 13-inch display, a 13.3-inch display, and an 11-inch housing. And it just is super sharp resolution. And uh, it's actually a pretty nice laptop. I, I, uh, I do recommend it, uh, and especially if you have a later version of the Linux kernel. Anybody else looked at these uh, XPS laptops in the mumble room before? Considered them or bought them, perhaps? Nobody is in the market, huh? They're nice laptops if you guys want to consider. Uh, they have the they did they resumed the version that ships with Ubuntu as well. 
So you can get them preloaded with Linux, which is nice. And this is something else, by the way. It's just a small thing, but it's uh, it's in this picture right here. Little battery meter. You tap that button, and it boop, 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 reads out how much battery is uh, left on uh, in the in, stored in the battery. And that is really a nice feature when you just want to just check your machine really quick. So uh, Imacon says I want this, but I don't know why they're doing they're uh, going Thunderbolt three and not USB C. Good question. That is an interesting observation. They are doing that. They're also doing PCIe storage, which is very nice. And like I mentioned, the 4K resolution screen. Thunderbolt 3 um, uses the same Type-C connector as USB 3. So I wonder if that means I'll also support USB 3 in the Thunderbolt. Because the Thunderbolt controller could probably do that, right? Yeah, in fact, it says right here, this means that the ports not only support Thunderbolt, but full 10 gigabits USB 3.0 Gen at, two, at, at uh, Gen 2 speeds. Each model also has a bit of a battery boost. Dell claims the XPS 13 can get 18 hours on a single charge. Mine says they say 13, which is really more like 6. Now, moving on to something that uh, is not very good news for Samsung in the big picture. The online mobile payments whole thing, you know, Apple Pay, Google Pay, or Android Pay, whatever they call it. And uh, Samsung, working with Lou Pay, had Samsung Pay. Now, here's the rub. As Samsung was on stage introducing Samsung Pay this year, Behind the scenes, it was total freaking chaos because LoopPay had just identified that they had been breached by Chinese hackers. This is according to the New York Times. This is a hell of a story. So as early as March, the hackers, alternatively known as Kususodu Group or whatever, uh, or some people also call them Sumshock, uh, had breached the computer network of LoopPay, a startup in uh, Burlington, Mass., and uh, it was acquired by Samsung in February for more than $250 million. Now, according to several people briefed on the still-unfolding investigation, as well as direct quotes from Samsung and LoopPay executives, the attackers are believed to have broken into LoopPay's corporate network, but not the production system that helps manage payments. That seems like a good thing. That was according to LoopPay's ch- chief executive and co-general manager, manager uh, and the co-general manager of Samsung Pay. Uh, they said that security experts are still looking through LoopPay's system, but there have been no indications that the hackers infiltrated Samsung systems or that the consumer data had been breached. Now, Samsung Pay was not impacted, according to Samsung, at any point, and no payment information was put at risk. This is according to Samsung's chief privacy officer that was released in a statement. This was an isolated incident that targeted the LoopPay corporate network, which is physically separate network. The LoopPay corporate network issues was resolved immediately and had nothing to do with Samsung Pay, end quote. Now, moving on, Loop Pay, kind of interesting, and maybe says, this may reveal more than they'd like. Uh, there's something kind of odd going on. Um, it looks like maybe they targeted, the hackers targeted C-level executives in the U.S. They said they would go in and get in for a long time, and then they'd come back and keep poking away. Loop Pay, to look into this, hired two private forensics teams to investigate the breach on August 20, 21st, just a month before it was set to bring Samsung Pay to the United States. Now, both of these different teams are still working the case, but the investigation has been unusual from the start. LoopPay told teams to look at different portions of the network. One of the firms, uh, Satoria, which is based in Charleston, was given a backup of LoopPay's data and asked to leave the company's headquarters after just three days. Now, this is obviously uh, pretty, pretty sticky, Lupe also uh, has not notified law enforcement about the breach uh, because they don't believe any consumer data or financial information was lost. Uh, but this is a particularly bad timing for Samsung as Samsung Pay is not really getting off to a great start. You've got 
major contenders from both Microsoft and Apple. And at the same time, Samsung's cell phone market um, dominance is slipping, especially with the lower end being uh, chewed up by uh, Yaomi in China. This just sounds like a mess. And this is probably part of the problem by not developing this in-house is they bought somebody else's technical debt. And what's crazy is this was all, while all of this was going down, Samsung's up on stage talking like it's the next, the next wave of how you're going to do your payments. And meanwhile, they know they've been breached and they have investigations going. Now, it's not a bad breach, but talk about the wrong way to launch a payments, <laughs> payment system. Um, has anybody in the bomb room paid by phone using any system yet? Am I the only one? Hmm. That's interesting. It's just not taking off. I, this is a sense I get from a lot of people. None of you have, have you? And I have used Apple Pay a couple of times. And it's neat. It is neat. But I, because, because you can't use it everywhere, it's not really a, it's not a practical replacement. You still have to bring your cards. You still have to have all of that. So it, this, is, this is one of these things where consumers are going to have to really trust the product. And Samsung, in my opinion, is off to a bad start, a bad, bad start with this. And while we're talking about sort of espionage and those kinds of things, this particular story is one that I'm going to be following for a future episode. IP addresses may associate a Lyft chief technology officer with the Uber data breach that we covered a while back. According to two unnamed Reuters sources, the IP address of the Lyft CTO Chris Lambert has been revealed by Uber's investigations to be, in so- to be associated with accessing of security keys that was accidentally deposited on GitHub in 2014 <laughs> uh, and, used to ac- and used to access 50,000 database records of Uber's drivers last year. However, bearing in mind that the breach was carried out through a fiercely protectionist uh, VPN and that, the, that Lambert was a Google software engineer before he became CTO of a major technology company, it doesn't seem surprising that he would have accessed such sensitive data. It seems surprising. It seems surprising, the article speculates, that he would have accessed such sensitive data with his own domestic IP address. So here's, let me break this down. So Uber makes the mistake of posting, uh, like, their SSH key or whatever the hell it was on GitHub, which many people have done in 2014. Scripts were written to scrape GitHub and find these. Somebody, possibly Chris Lambert, but somebody found the keys, and got access to Uber's data because Uber was dumb and put it up on GitHub. They did it through a VPN, and somehow they think they've tracked the other end of that VPN back to the CTO of Lyft's home address. Maybe, but really, this to me, it feels more like a meta story of Two companies that are competing with each other, publicly throwing crap at each other. This is pretty weak stuff. Somebody went to the press with this to get them to write something bad about the other company. And now they're, sh- now they're, now they're jabbing back and forth in the press. And this is what is part of what is the worst about the tech press these days, is people that cover on these stories don't know what the hell an IP address is, don't know what the hell a VPN is, and so it sounds juicy and they write about it. That's why TechCrunch's top story today is a Facebook emoji that has empathic capabilities. Bullcrap! That's not a top story. This is not a story. Give me a story that says you've, you have linked it to him. Give me a story that says he accessed this data. This is not a story. This is what is wrong with the tech press. This kind of coverage is just rampant uh, clickbait. 
rampant clickbait, trying to get their crappy ads clicked. And meanwhile, Google's sitting back, making money off all this crappy content. And now that the, now that different companies are coming down and locking down the web, Google's launching things like Amped and going up on stage and saying, we have to come together as an industry and solve this massive problem for all of humanity, he says. It just blows my mind. And when I see this kind of tech coverage, it makes me think what... What really needs – there needs to be a blog out there that just takes all this stuff and just tears it all apart and calls out these authors for their horrible journalism. Horrible journalism. It's not even journalism. That's what's so pathetic about it is it actually in some ways devalues tech journalism because you can't really look at this and say this is journalism. I don't know what it is. It's, it's clickbait. It's something else. It's a product of some kind. It's a, it's a, it is a product to drive ad views and it is not actually journalism. And there's such a, a thin, thin line that constantly gets crossed between what is journalism and what is just simply content to generate clicks. <sighs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say. It's, very, it's really super disappointing. It's really kind of crazy. Anyways, anyways, if you want to help us fight the good fight, go over to patreon.com slash today. We'll still be here tearing these down and covering the things that do seem like they're worth talking about and ignoring the things that don't seem like they're worth talking about. In fact, that's really sort of a key of what all of our shows do, if you think about it, and that Patreon supports all of our shows. Patreon.com slash today. You go there, you keep us on the air, and really help us with the back-end stuff like the staff, all those kinds of things. Also, and You think I'm kidding about how bad the state of the news is? Really, top story on TechCrunch today with reactions. Facebook supercharges the like button with six, yes, count them, six empathic emojis. That's the top story today. Who's it? Ingrid London. Well, London, whatever. Thank you, at Ingrid London. Great work today. You get like, love, ha-ha, yay, wow, sad, and angry. There. Are you happy? I talked about emojis. I said I wasn't going to do it, but, I mean, it's the top tech story of the day. <laughs> it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Hey, I'm glad to say that TechSnap's going to be live today. We're back from our travels. We'll be live at our regular tech snap time. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for that. Also, that's a good place to find out the live times for this show is if I change it up next week, especially because I'm all hating on how crappy the news is most days. You can find those updates at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And also love to have you submit stories. That's always excellent. Also taking more background submissions. we got a new one today. Go to techtalktoday.reddit.com. That also would be a good place to submit a Kickstarter of the week. Well, And uh, also... Last but not least, our Mumble Room. You guys are kind of quiet today, but I invite you to join us in the Mumble Room. They are actually there. Hello. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. I, fro- I probably, I, you know, I don't know. See, these, none, none of these stories were particularly grabbing for you, were they? That is it. Yeah, not really. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, that's what I'm discovering for the Daily Show is a Daily Show, I think, I think for most podcast networks, the Daily Show is so that way in aggregate you can sell a high number of downloads to your advertisers. You see, because uh, a daily show individually, because it's daily, doesn't have as many listeners because that's just overwhelming for most people. But if you sell them the aggregate number from the entire week, that's actually a pretty well-performing show. And that's what my, I, trust me, that's what podcast networks do. And then there's the other, then there's the other side where you have like the Tom Merritt's out there where they have such an established daily fan base that they can easily support that kind of show on Patreon. But he has a much be- he has a much more uh, built out uh, discussion panel, so they can take less interesting stories and milk them for a little more content than 
he normally can. So he has a good setup there. But see, really, this show really depends on interesting topics that are worth talking about, not just from me, my standpoint, but also from the mumble room standpoint. And the truth of the matter is, with so much bad journalism out there, quote unquote journalism, or really click content generators, or click generator content, whatever, there's there's a phrase in there I'm working, whatever that you call that, there's so much of that out there that actually makes up the tech news. That when you do it, when you break it down on a daily basis, there's so much stuff that just doesn't matter. And that's what drives me crazy. I like being here every day with you guys. But then the actual stories themselves, it's like, ugh, I feel ridiculous even having to talk about them. So that, check out this calendar next week. I'm probably, I'm going to probably toy with the, with the format just, just to try to make it so that when we show up, there's something worth talking about. Because otherwise, I mean, it's, you know, it's a bunch of people trying to get clicks on advertising. You know, I was thinking about this on my drive in today, too, is I hope, I hope Facebook and Apple and anybody else that's trying to F over Google with display ads, I hope they win. I hope to, I mean, I, I hope to God we get some sort of, we get some sort of answer to this problem because I think display ads, you know, I used to take a completely separate, completely different, totally different stance. My thought was display advertising on the web makes it possible for people to make a little bit of money off the content they create and it keeps good content around. And I was thinking that in the terms of, you know, how-tos and tutorials and uh, those kinds of, that kind of, you know, good content that's great for written stuff on the web. That I was thinking, that's, boy, that, yeah, I'd hate to see that go away. But then, then when I look at sites like The Verge and TechCrunch and they have stories like react with reactive Facebook, with reactions, with reactions, comma. I love a comma in the title, by the way. With reactions, comma, Facebook supercharges the like button with six empathic emoji. If we didn't have display advertisements, now I'm blocking most of them because I have privacy badger, but of course there's a big one right there on the right next to that photo that isn't displaying right now, a big one. And if we didn't have that kind of stuff, I don't think we'd have stories like this. I don't think the tech press would be so desperate to circle jerk companies like Google so that way they can eke out any bit of information. I don't think it would be as much of a problem. I, in some ways, hope that display advertising shrivels up. And I, and you know, I say that, and I know that there's going to be major consequences to some people. And I feel for the content creators out there that deserve better. But I think this actually, I think, I think display advertising has damaged the credibility of news in the tech industry. Because there's an entire content farm industry built around just milking those ads now. And doing this show, you really, you really get a sense. Like, see, the thing is, is you have no idea how many show, how many stories don't go into an episode of Tech Talk today. It's, it's so many stories that don't go in to a, to to this show every single day because they're just crap. And it's like, well, why am I going to waste your time? Like, here, this one's maybe newsworthy, but I don't really think so. Amazon launches an Etsy rival with handcrafted goods for eighty thousand items in sixty countries. That's newsworthy. It'll be no more newsworthy, though, in a year if it actually does something. Right now, it could go absolutely nowhere. I don't really think it's a big story. Uh, Dell to buy EMC. That's a rumor right now. If Dell buys EMC, then it's a story, right? Apple, I, Apple TV to hit in November. All right? It's a story when it hits. It's not a story yet, in my opinion. Uh, Medium ad publishing API gets an update. <laughs> okay. Uh, Google now owns A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z.com. Okay. Not a story in my opinion. This is the state of tech journalism because all of these people have to write something so that way their website gets clicks 
even though they don't even know what the hell they're writing about, and there's nothing for them to write about. Anyways, end of rant. Patreon.com slash today if you'd like to support this show and all of the shows where we try to be, I don't know, tastemakers. We try to make good selections for you. We try to make sure that if you're listening to one of our shows, there's something of value there for you, something that justifies you spending your time. And I think this is such a key point that all of these different news sites don't get and the advertisers don't get, and that's why we're starting to see such a backlash to online advertising. Because the value proposition just hasn't been there for years now. It's not worth our time. And going through this news today, I can tell you that's for sure. And of course, those really crappy stories are available for you to read online anyways. So really, the stories we want are ones that are worth discussing and having a conversation and you have some insight into. And hopefully all of the shows we do help with that. Patreon.com slash today to support those shows. Now, we are going to end with a classic TV intro brought to you by a frequent title winner, J.B. Hawk of Truth, in the chat room. That's right. J.B. Hawk of Truth not only naming the show, he's also going to be ending the show with a classic that if you grew up during this time frame, there is no way this song didn't get stuck in your head a few times. And I apologize ahead of time because it's going to get stuck in your head Again, join me back here tomorrow for the Friday edition of Tech Talk Today. Later today on the live stream will be TechSnap, jblive.tv for the live show. See you back here tomorrow, everybody. 